Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr. Today I'm welcoming Martha Tatarnik as a guest. Martha is the lead priest of St. George's, a thriving downtown Anglican church in St. Catharines, Ontario. Martha writes a regular blog for the Anglican Church of Canada, which can be found at medium.com. She's the author of The Living Diet, A Christian Journey to Joyful Eating, An Exploration of Our Relationship with Food and Our Body Through a Christian Perspective, and also her second book, Why Gather, The Hope and Promise of the Church, which we'll be talking about today. You can find out more about her at marthatatarnik.ca. All right, welcome to the show, Martha Tatarnik. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, what else would you like our listeners to know about you? Well, thanks so much for having me, Lauren. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think it's worth noting that I've now been in parish leadership, uh, church leadership, for a little over 20 years. I was kind of a kid when <laughs> I first got into ministry, and um, it's it's still kind of a surprise to to find that this is what I'm doing with my life. You know, people often ask what it was that uh, that made me want to get into parish ministry. And my answer is I didn't. I didn't mm. want to <laughs> be mm-hmm. in, in church leadership at all. I, I was going to be a lawyer. Um, but uh, it's certainly been a, a wild ride and a, a wonderful learning curve over the past two decades. Yeah, awesome. Uh, I should... And for our listeners, Martha comes to us uh, from north of the border, again, coming yes. from my context in the States. So uh, welcome to hopefully some uh, Canadian listeners. Uh, but thanks so much for being here. Uh, share, if you would, kind of about your journey of faith, what that looked like, perhaps in the beginning, what that looks like today. Yeah. Um, I mean, I grew up in a, a church-going family. Um my family settled in the Anglican Church, which uh, the Episcopalian Church would be the mm-hmm. the uh, corollary to that in the U.S. Um, we settled there when I was probably eight years old or so on, about that about that age, um, and uh, we it, it just seemed to be a home for my family in terms of intellectual freedom and um, the sacramentality, the symbolism, the ritual that uh, sort of connected with our our artsy-fartsy souls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I was around the age of 15 when um, I just, I'd been going to church my whole life. I'd always been interested in uh in questions of faith, I had always felt like God was a real and guiding presence in my life. I was always intrigued by Jesus. Um, but it was around the time of uh, that I was 15 that I, I started to really feel connected to the worship life of mm. the church. And um, 
and really invested in reading the scriptures as well. And it was those components that um, that suddenly made the life of the church feel like it was essential to me rather than just um, something that I did to make my mom happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and it, also the other piece that uh, that connected in with that um, coming together of of those pieces was, that realization that I thought I was being called actually to, to be a church leader, to be a priest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I've, uh, I studied music, um, in undergrad, but with the intention of going to seminary, I was ordained when I was 25 and, uh, I've been leading various churches of, various sizes and contexts for the past 20 years. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Uh, 20 years in ministry is no small feat. No. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Uh, What are some spiritual practices that you've developed, found meaningful, might recommend others? Well, I mean, I could give a long list here, but I'll just uh, talk about something that is meaningful to me right at this very moment, um, which is to be part of the daily office um, mm-hmm. in the life of our church. So we have a, a new associate here at the church who has just started opening up the doors of of the church building weekday mornings and gathering people to uh, pray the morning office, the, the kind of set prayers of, mm-hmm. of the wider church. It takes about 15 minutes. I was reflecting with him this morning that, you know, that was a piece of my prayer life that was really important to me when I was younger and before I had children. And it just like really kind of fell by the wayside after I had kids. Like I couldn't mm-hmm. imagine getting up in the morning and doing anything other than hitting the ground running. Right. Um, but somehow like that, that, gathering of even just a few people at a regular time that mm-hmm. gift of community um allows me to to get back into that habit in a way that i'm finding very centering and life-giving um but it it doesn't feel like something i i'm capable of doing on my own right now so mm-hmm. it's uh, sort of another way in which i'm feeling really grateful for for the communal yeah, um, yeah. Aspect of our faith. Yeah. Well, that's great for, thanks for sharing that. Um, I want to ask you if I can just right off the top. Um, we're going to talk about her book, Why Gather the Hope and Promise of the Church. Um, recommend the book, but I, I kind of want to ask you right off the top. You, you just mentioned like 20 years in, in ministry. Um, I'm reading another book. Um, there's so much conversation right now about, clergy quiet quitting and um, obviously the clergy burnout with, with COVID and, and mm-hmm. so much political strife in the United States. I, I don't know if you're willing to share kind of what, like what's kept you kind of grounded, kept you sane um, in the midst of just reading your book. It sounds like you've been through some struggles. Uh, what's kept you in it? Yeah. Um, it's the people who who share the walk with me, um, mm. for sure. And yes, I do talk in the book about uh, 
skating on the thin ice of burnout mm-hmm. um, and sort of not realizing how thin the ice was until it was almost too late. Wow. Um, so, uh, yeah, I've definitely had my my moments of frustration and um, exhaustion with ministry. At the same time, um, I count myself incredibly fortunate because um, most of my ministry time actually has been happy. Like I have Mm. had a very happy 20 years by and large. And I, I, um, I think that the number one reason for that is I have been so blessed with always working as part of a team. Um, Mm. I've never, Mm -hmm. I've never had to be a lone wolf in ministry. Yeah. I've all, even in smaller parishes where I've served, um, there has very much been a sense of there's this ministry team at the heart of of what the church is doing, and and I'm I'm not just trying to figure this all out by myself. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that has been kind of the number one thing. And I think it's something that we really have to be very conscientious of as we sort of look at what restructuring needs to to be in this next chapter of the church, how we can set people up for the success of not having to be um, a jack of all trades in ministry. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about that just recently here that how much, um, I think the statistic is right that like coming out of seminary, people tend to burn out in their first five years, leave the profession, right? And I wonder like what difference it would make if people could, I think at least in the last probably 10, 15 years in the States, at least, and I imagine it's probably similar in your context, right? Where because of their smaller churches, there's not like the opportunity as much for uh, someone to come out of seminary and, and work as an associate or as an assistant pastor or clergy person, and they they come into these small uh, churches or parishes and they kind of have the jack of all trade thing, like you said, mm-hmm. and quickly find themselves doing like all these uh, minutia tasks that you know they're like, hey, I didn't I didn't come out of seminary to like you know recruit volunteers or clean the toilets or whatever. Yeah. Like, do you think that's a real uh, 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 challenge? That's uh, part of the problem? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I like the co two cohorts before me mm-hmm. in terms of ordination in this particular part of the church. Um, I think that they, I think everyone in that cohort left ministry in the first wow. five years. And, wow. um, and yeah, I think that, I think, that piece around um, around kind of getting thrown into situations that that you're really not trained for is part mm-hmm. of it. I think um, not being, I think the church has been hit or miss in terms of how um, intentionally we think about curacies. So curacies in our tradition uh, is that first couple of years where you are. Uh, ordained, but you're also working in a team context with a senior mm-hmm. pastor. And 
And I think that's a big reason why I've been happy in ministry is because I had such an excellent curacy experience that, you know, extended in friendship and mentorship so far beyond yeah. those first two years. Um, I really felt like I was set up to learn and grow rather than set up to fail. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, spell that word for me. Uh, C-U-R-A-C-Y. So Curacy. there would be, I guess, different language and different traditions, mm-hmm. but yeah. that's the language that we have in the Anglican Church. And when there are resources to make that happen, it sure makes a big difference. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is good. Thanks for thanks for just kind of engaging with me on that. Fly, yeah, of course. With this on the fly uh, again. I'll reintroduce you. The book is Why Gather, The Hope and Promise of the Church. Uh, Martha, share if you would kind of what inspired the book and uh, how it came to be that sort of thing. Yeah, I think that there are really three threads that um, that coalesced into the uh, the idea for the book and, and run throughout the book. And those three threads would be, um, first of all, what it is to be formed by a church in decline. Because mm-hmm. I have zero experience of anything other than um, a, a declining church structure. I, yeah. I've served in churches that have had growth and vitality for sure, but you know the institutional church in mm-hmm. my living memory has always been in decline, yeah. and I have always been. Um, I have always lived in a world that feels very secular. You know, I didn't, I, I, when I was in high school and discerning a call to ministry, like none of my friends were churchgoers. Yeah. Um, like the, the assumption of my life is mostly that church is um, something that most people opt out of in mm-hmm. our yeah. world. So, um, so ministering in a declining church was kind of the first thread, like what what the the response of an institution that seems to be fighting for its own survival uh, takes, what that response looks like, and what what burden that places on leaders. Um, which brings me to the second thread of the book, which is that uh, that coming to a place of feeling like I was very close to burnout. And that was happening Mm. to me pre-pandemic. I was just starting to feel like I was, uh, I'd been juggling so many balls for so long Mm -hmm. in terms of continuing the traditions of the church and trying new things and new initiatives as well. And suddenly none of it seemed to be working any longer. Um, and that burden felt really hev- heavy on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third uh, thread is that just as I was beginning to really have have to acknowledge what was happening to me personally, the world shut down with yeah. COVID nineteen, um, and and suddenly everything about our patterns and and our juggling acts completely changed. Um, so those were those were the three pieces that all came together, you know, in March of 2020. And uh, the book is a reflection of 
of wrestling with those threads. Yeah. Now, one of the themes, at least as I understood it, that really carried throughout the book is this metaphor of uh, ultra-realism as, as, as your experience in running. So, A, yeah. we talked a little bit about our uh, appreciation for running before we started recording. Uh, share, if you would, kind of what ultra-realism is, maybe how it fits in the running and, and how you see it fitting in in the church context. Yeah, so over the, the years, um, I have really gotten into long-distance running. I ran my first marathon in 2021, um, but I'd been really enjoying running half marathons uh, mm-hmm. before that time. Um, I'm not a natural athlete, so it's it's pretty funny to find myself not only uh, as a runner, but a long-distance runner and an enthusiastic long-distance runner. These mm-hmm. are things I never really saw for myself. Um the, the term ultra-realism I came across as I was training for that first marathon, and um, it's a mental fitness perspective hmm. uh, described for endurance sports. So the premise of ultra-realism is that um, in endurance sports, we can so easily uh get derailed not by uh, by the physical challenges mm-hmm. but by the mental challenges of, yeah. of what we're trying to do and I I would say the two big uh, traps of of uh, mental fitness in endurance sports is number one um, wishing that things were different from what they are. Yeah. And number two, worrying about what is coming next. Um, so, you know, when you start out on a long run, um, it's really easy to feel discouraged by the wind or the rain or the temperature or, um, you know, by by the fact that you've only run one kilometer and it felt really hard and you have 29 to go. Yeah. Um, and like, how am I going to get through the next 29? And you yeah. can just freak yourself right out yeah. of doing anything other than that one kilometer, because you feel like the whole thing just stretches before you in a way that feels impossible. Um, but ultra realism is to focus your mind away from the wishing and the worrying and to become really attentive to what's actually happening and to make your decisions based on what is actually happening, um, to accept what's happening and then to embrace it. And, um, and, and that has a lot to do with being clear about what is out of our control and how we're empowered um, in the midst yeah. of all the things that we don't control. So uh, that metaphor for running, I find enormously helpful as a runner, but I find it enormously helpful as a human being, just trying yeah. to navigate life, because I think it's pretty easy to see how um, wishing and worrying can uh, derail a lot of situations other than endurance sports. And certainly, um how much energy uh, a church institution fearful for its own survival 
can invest in the wishing and worrying instead of attending to what is actually happening and um and just getting really clear about you know what we can do something about and what we can't yeah what's not what we're not in charge of (laughs) um so i think that's such an interesting perspective because obviously and i imagine broadly speaking some of the same cultural dynamics that are happening in your part of the world in Canada are similar to what's happening here in the States. So much of it is quote unquote cultural secularization, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we don't need to talk about all the, those dynamics here. Um, But so there's, there's a, there's a line you have in the book that the mainline church is so concerned with its decline, kind of that worrying and wishing if I'm hearing it, if I'm thinking through Mm -hmm. it, right. All can see it's their own faults and and failings, wishing for something to be different, wishing to be something other. So uh, filter filter kind of that line there through the ultra-realism way of thinking how how church could do it differently, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, there is a lot of uh, looking back to the good old days and mm-hmm. um, and regretting that uh, that things aren't as they used to be um i think in the anglican church in the mainline tradition there's so much of looking to denominations that seem to be way more successful and have mm. you know way more young people yeah. and uh and tithing young people filling <laughs> filling their pews and uh to feel like um well we should we should be doing what they're doing um why can't we be more like them um i i liken in my book i liken the mainline church to having a problem with body image yeah um like i know that i um wouldn't know how to be a follower of Jesus if it weren't for the the intellectual freedom um, the the commitment to um, equality and inclusion the the richness of the the symbols and the sacraments of our tradition um, all of those pieces, help me to be a follower of Jesus and help so many people to be a follower of Jesus, but we can't even kind of see and embrace the the beautiful things about um, about our part of the Christian tradition because we're so mm-hmm. kind of consumed with what we don't have or what we think others are doing better or what we um, feel like we've lost. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of to that point, or on that theme, uh, you also write mainline church has gotten trapped trying to save something other than who we really are. So I think you've kind of hinted at that in your previous answer, but what are we uh, speaking big universal we here? And then what should we mainliners be trying to save? Yeah. um, We're doing a study on it in our church right now on the book that I wrote and just gathering people to, to talk about it. And so I posed this question to, 
to them this past Tuesday. And their answers were just like really clear and really immediate that, you know, at its heart, the church is always about, um, about a relationship with God, Hmm. you know, and Hmm. for us as Christians, that relationship with God is, is, uh, is through following Jesus. Um, that's, you know, always the heart of it. And, and out of that is, um, a life of service and a community of prayer and fellowship and friendship. Um, and those, those pieces of prayer and gathering and service, um, and, and people who have been met and changed by the living God, like that's, that's what this is. Mm-hmm. Um, I was listening to your podcast from a couple of weeks ago with Ryan Panzer mm-hmm. talking about, um, you know, all of the, the online manifestations of Christian community. And I just thought it was so interesting the way that he named that, um, you know, there's more that's the same hmm. about mm-hmm. this, like, new chapter of the church than, than different. Like, it's the the core doesn't change even yeah. if kind of the the ways in which we support and embrace and live out that core adapt and change um i think again for the mainline church we we put a lot of uh emphasis and worry into saving the institution right um and I'm not anti-institution. Like I think mm-hmm. the institution can do brave and bold things in terms of supporting those pieces of service and prayer and community. Um, but but we we can't get confused about which is which. Like no. it, we're not like the the thing itself isn't the institution. The institution needs to adapt and and be structured in a way to support that relationship, that relationship and how it gets lived out in, in service and community. Yeah. I think uh, the thing itself is not the institution. Perhaps some leaders might need to hear that sometimes, but that's another conversation. Um, Yeah. I mean, I need to hear it too. Like I'm somebody who makes my, my living through the institutional church. So I say that as much for myself as for anybody. I'm not on any high horse here. Yeah. So one of the things that really resonated with me about this metaphor of ultra realism and the church, as someone who's worked in mainline context for several years, at least is, I think from my perspective, at least there can be this kind of like, I don't know. Um, kind of like this false almost magical thinking of like oh if we just talk about abundance and (laughs) generosity enough like we can like gloss over the fact that like our budgets are like massively in the red we're you know we're bleeding people buildings are falling apart um but you say that ultra realism isn't about giving up um either it's about starting with a truth that can be transformational so how can the truth be transformational in a good way? 
Well, I think for me, um, what I find most empowering and freeing is in being really clear about what I'm not in charge of. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, and like what I'm not in charge of is God at work in people's lives. Like that is happening. God is like, God's on it. Like God is at work in mm-hmm. the lives of my parishioners. God is at work in the life of my community. God is at work in the life of the world. Um, I don't need to make that happen. I don't need to program it into happening. I don't need to, um, yeah, like I, I don't need to make God show up. Um, what I can do and, you know, I talk about my life as a priest is fundamentally my job description is to lift up, like mm-hmm. to lift up the, the voices and the perspectives and the stories, um, the offerings that help us to more clearly see what's already happening. Um Again, like, uh, you know, I'm somebody, I'm not on any high horse. I, uh, I can feel like the weight of the world rests on my shoulders yeah. as a parish priest. Um, I can easily get confused into thinking that I'm sort of in charge of making everything happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but coming back to that, like, ultra real perspective of here are all of the things that a, I don't, I can't do anything about, mm-hmm. and B, I'm not in charge of. Yeah, um, just helps to really clarify then what I do, you know. Because when you're clear about what you're not in charge of and what you can't control, then you can make some pretty fruitful choices about, you know, what what you are going to do and what you can do. Mm-hmm. So if I can ask, like, I'm thinking about this again as, as, and I don't do many long runs these days, uh, but I can certainly remember back when I was training for a marathon, you you go out and like, for again, American context, first mile or two, you're just like, oh, this is awful. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, oh boy, I, I got another 16 to go here, 15 to go. So for me, it was just like thinking Back then, she's like, you know what? I'm just going to keep putting one foot in front of the other here. You know, I'm feeling awful, but I'm just going to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And then, you know, before I knew it, I was done type thing. Yeah. Like, what are some things like, give me some real practical things, example here, like uh, that looks like in a church context for a clergy person. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's absolutely right about the running. Um, you know, most of the time when you sort of actually focus on what's happening right now, like right now I'm running. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's, that's whether I'm wishing or worrying, right now I'm running. Um, I think the parallel in, in church ministry is like right here and right now is a gathering of people who, um, who have, 
incredible stories about how their lives have been transformed by God, by mm -hmm. prayer, by the life of the church, um, how, you know, they have experienced grief and brokenness and sin and loss and, um, and how they have found um, in their Christian faith the, the redeeming of that pain and heartbreak into, you know, um, some kind of offering, some kind of like beautiful offering of love. And they're living this out in just like profound and inspiring ways. And you, like, again, even in our mainline context where we're supposedly not great at sharing our faith stories or we're not kind of as vocal yeah. about talking about um, our relationship with God. If you just like kind of invite people and like scratch beneath mm -hmm. the surface a little mm -hmm. bit, like just kind of ask people to, to talk about it, it, it pours out of them. So, mm. you know, one piece that I think we've been really intentional about developing in, uh, in my church here and that I think has been, enormously fruitful is uh to to create those kinds of opportunities whether it's through preaching series that involve a lot of different people in the church whether it's through you know small group mm -hmm. um small group studies those opportunities for people to just be invited to to talk about that um it's it it's amazing how that uh, just starts to change the culture of hmm. of a church, and you know suddenly everybody's a little bit more tuned in to um, to how they see God working in their lives and how yeah. they see God working in the life of the community, and and it it's contagious in a way, you know. Like, yeah. Because the truth is, is that like God isn't just at work in the lives of the people in our church. God is at work in the lives of everybody in the world. And I think in so many ways, there's almost a an unarticulated um, desire to put some language to that, you know, mm -hmm. to those like uncommon experiences of of miracle and and prayer and redemption and yeah. you know all of those pieces yeah so i want to ask perhaps um if i if i read correctly you write that there's a big risk in an ultra real church um talk about what that risk can be so um at a clergy conference um, a couple of months ago, a group of us were talking over drinks in the evening, and um, we were kind of talking through some of our frustrations with the the way in which the church can really fall down in some significant ways, whether it's in how we respond to um, the like decolonization, the, mm -hmm. the need to address racism, whether it's, uh, you know, responding to 
sexual misconduct in the church or yeah. misogyny in the church. And somebody in our little group of, you know, people in this casual conversation kind of said, well, like, should we really expect any differently? Like, mm. we are just people after all. Like, yeah. are we maybe being too hard on the church in yeah. our criticism? Um, and I, you know, I think that's, I think that's a temptation um, at any time, not just in terms of ultra realism. The temptation is to say, well, like, we're just human after all. Like, yeah. oh, we're just like, yeah, of course we're flawed. Oh, you know, of course the church is full of people. And, you know, my, my book doesn't, um, doesn't put any rose colored lenses right. on the life of the church. Right. It, it makes it very clear that like we're full of flaws and mistakes and ways in which we get it wrong. Um, and yes, like the, the church is full of frustrating uh, misguided people, including ourselves, who who don't um, who don't who lose track of what this is all about. I mean, we all do mm -hmm. that, but but to accept and embrace that is not to say that we don't also continue to pursue change. Yeah, um, yeah. In like it, that's not good enough it's not good enough just to say oh well we're just human oh well we're just flawed no like we're also people who um who are we've sh we've been given a a glimpse of a vision of the kingdom of god and um and we've been we've been tasked with you know how the how the kingdom of God can better be perceived and, and revealed right here on earth. Um, we, we do pursue the ways of justice. We do um, demand change. We do uh, think that how things are um, like business as usual, isn't the answer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I just, I think um in getting real about the flaws, I don't want to suggest that we don't also dream big yeah. and yeah. and and hope and work for more. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I want to ask you one more question here before we take a break, and um, I have to leave a few on the ta chopping table here yeah, for sake for sure. of time. And this one just came to me uh, in your book, if I remember, you have. A chapter or something where you talk about pushing through pain that I think if I remember right caused an injury or or was the result or or was coming from an injury and again I think about this again in my experiences run in in running sometimes things just hurt but sometimes you're also injured mm -hmm. uh, share if you can for again thinking out about this for a clergy person I think there's sometimes if I can, if I can speak for universally here, I think sometimes clergy get hurt from church context or people in the church. But there's sometimes, uh, and we can work through that. And then sometimes we're really, really deeply injured 
uh, by mm-hmm. people in the church, the institution, et cetera. What, what thoughts do you have about kind of discerning what is what and working and dealing with such? Yeah, I thank you for asking because I thought that was a really important piece to include in the book. Um, and yeah, the the story in the book, the the metaphor is that, you know, I ran for 28 kilometers on an injured hip thinking that like no pain, no gain. Right. Like if you're training for a new distance, of course it's going to hurt. Yeah. And um, and so I just ran through the pain, thinking that, well, this is what it is. And then I couldn't run for months because I I tore something in my hip by doing that. Um I I think that uh it's all too easy to um, adopt a sort of martyr complex yeah. in parish leadership and to think that um, sacrifice and uh, and and pain are part of the job and they certainly are I mean it sacrifice uh, is is part of being a Christian mm-hmm. Um but as you say, like there's a, a fine line between um, between that sacrificial offering of our lives that is in fact life giving and mm-hmm. um, and what God is calling us to do and um, and becoming really injured in uh, in trying to to do and take on more than. Um, than we should, or not listening to our bodies, um, not attending to our own health in the midst of of trying to uh, lead and care for people. Um, and you know, I think that for me, and this you know comes up throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I have needed the the voice and the care and the concern and the wisdom of others time and time again Hmm. to, to pull me back to that balance of um, where, where the sacrifice is in fact a, a faithful and true response and, um, and where it, it needs to be measured with some self care. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and sure. and with a willingness to like kind of name our own vulnerability and our own inability to to kind of do everything alone and uh, that's why I try to be as honest as possible about my own struggles with with burnout and with um not being well in ministry because you know I think sometimes we really need to be able to say I'm not okay yeah. I need help. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate your thoughts and uh, sharing about the book. Again, it is Why Gather, the hope and promise of the book, I imagine, uh, available wherever most books are sold, yes? Yes. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, let's take a break. We'll come back here with some closing questions. 
All right, we're back with Martha Tatarnik. And again, thank you so much for your time and for the conversation. Uh, these closing questions, I always tell folks you can take these as seriously or not as you'd like to. If you're Pope for a day, what might that day look like for you? <laughs> well, I think um, I would I would be really focused on um, raising up the voices of women in leadership in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I would just go pedal to the metal on that for the day. Um, I... I'm not somebody who thinks that, you know, the church is automatically going to be more compassionate and caring and nurturing and maternal just by having women mm-hmm. in uh, in leadership. But uh, you're missing out on half of yeah. Yeah. half of a whole world of of leaders and voices and you know the harvest is great but the laborers are few. So let's mm-hmm. Let's make sure we're not missing out on half of the laborers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, a theologian or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life? Well, this might sound a little out there, but um, I would say Anne Boleyn. Oh. Um, in, uh, in the Anglican Church, you know, we're, we're a product of the Reformation yeah. in England, which is sort of famously attached to King Henry VIII's desire for a divorce so that he could marry Anne Boleyn. Um, but she's a fascinating figure in and of herself in terms of her own commitment to uh, some of the principles of Reformation, especially around um, having the Bible published in English and encouraging Bible study amongst uh, people in the court. Um, I think she's pretty underrated in terms of a, a theological um, force to be reckoned with hmm. in terms of the Reformation coming to England. So I'd love to pick her brains and see what all got missed from the history books there. That's good. That's a good one. I've not heard that one before. Um, what do you think history will remember from our current time and place? I think we'll be talking for a long time about that uh, that experience of COVID shutting down our churches mm-hmm. to public worship and, you know, that very first time for any of us in church leadership of coming into an empty sanctuary yeah. and, um, and maybe a camera mm-hmm. and that experience of um, how empty the church felt and also how not empty the church felt, you know, and, and kind of the, the, the essentials that were revealed Mm -hmm. in, uh, in, you know, what the communion of saints and the, the great cloud of witnesses actually is even when we're not physically together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What are your hopes for the future of Christianity? I hope that um, that we will not shy away from uh, from our legitimate offering as a response to some of the greatest crises of our day. And mm. you know, I talk about that in the book as well. Like, I I think so much of um, the world's problems right now, whether it's climate change or uh, racism or uh, 
you know, whatever it is that we're talking about, um, is, is about people becoming disconnected from Mm -hmm. the reality of how biologically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, um, we actually are to one another, how connected we are to one another. And I, you know, whatever form our gatherings take, I think that the gathering of the community of faith bears witness to, to who we really are, um, to a world that's forgotten, um, like that we're, who we really are as relationships, not individuals. Well, I really appreciate the time and and the conversation. Um, Share where people can connect with you online. All right. Um, Well, I do have a website, marthatatarnik.ca. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. I think I'm the only Martha Tatarnik in the world, (laughs) (laughs) or certainly on any social media platform I've found. So as long as you get the spelling of my last name right, um, you can find me pretty easily on on, uh, Facebook and Instagram. Um, I write a blog for the Anglican Church of Canada. You can find that on medium.com and uh, again by looking up my name. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much. I always leave folks with a word of peace. Uh, May God's peace be with you. Thank you, Lauren, and also with you. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romaglevitt. Thanks, and go in peace. Peace.